following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. So glad that you are here uh, this morning. If you have a Bible with you or you wanna access it on the app, let's go to Luke chapter four. Luke four this morning. Um, And I wonder, if I was to tell you that there are three little words that if you understood them and if you internalized them and if you made them a, a, a fundamental posture, right, a, a, a stance in engaging in relationships, that with the help of the Holy Spirit, with, with understanding these words and internalizing these words and, and making them a, a fundamental posture in the way that you would re- relate, that it would alter the way that you show up in relationships so that you would show up more whole, healthy, dare I say, holy. Three little words that that would alter your experience in your marriage or with your parents. Alter your experience, the way you show up in a relationship with with your children, with your coworkers, with your boss, with your friends, with your enemies, with your fans, with your critics. These three little words that have the capacity, if we really understand them, internalize them, and and then adopt them as a fundamental posture in relationships. Would you want to know what those three little words might be? Three little words. Defined and connected. Defined and connected. Now, according to my clock, I have 26 minutes and 29 seconds to try to explain to you what defined and connected means. But I'll tell you, it's going to take a lifetime to try to work this out. But I believe that these three little words capture something fundamentally important about the way in which we, as as growing disciples of Jesus, as those who are experiencing deeper emotional and spiritual health, show up in relationship. These three little words aren't a magic bullet. They they won't make everything better immediately. In fact, sometimes if we really are adopting this posture, it, it makes things more complicated on the front end. And yet I believe this is the picture of emotional maturity in relationship. We are in a series called Deeper Still where we're talking about God's calling on our lives individually and on our life as a church to go deeper in our discipleship to Jesus this year by going deeper into emotional and spiritual health, recognizing that emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are bound up together. And over the course of these last few weeks, we've been exploring what that means for us, the implications of that, coming to know ourselves more deeply that we might come to know God more deeply, reckoning with our backstory and understanding the way in which our past impacts our present. Thinking about the, the embracing the reality of the limits in our lives as gifts from God. And as we do this work internally, as we have our inner lives conform more and more into the, to the pattern, to the inner life of Jesus, that impacts how we show up. That impacts the way in which we relate to other people. And so this morning, we're talking about a concept that psychologists refer to as differentiation. Differentiation. A couple of great, helpful definitions of this concept, first from a book called The Leader's Journey. They say differentiation 
is the ability to remain connected in relationship to significant people in our lives and yet not have our reactions and behavior determined by them. Steve Kuss in his book, Managing Leadership Anxiety, says differentiation is the ability to be fully yourself while being fully connected to people. It's gaining clarity on where I end and the other begins. The most simple way that I know to convey this concept of differentiation is defined and connected. Now, let's think about each of those words individually and the significance of them, the impact of them, right? That we need to be defined in relationship to be emotionally healthy and mature. We need to be defined to say, this is who I am. This is what I see. This is what I think. This is how I feel. It's maintaining a sense of self-definition, maintaining a sense of boundary, but also allowing others in relationship to do the same, allowing them to be self-defined. And then connected, that when things get tough, that, that when, when anxiety enters the relationship, that we maintain that sense of connection that we don't withdraw, that we don't disengage, that we don't run away, or that we don't shut down emotionally, that we stay connected, that we continue to listen, that we continue to have empathy, that we maintain that sense of connection. Defined, this is, this is what I think, this is what I see, this is how I feel. Connected, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not disengaging, withdrawing. Now, in those three little words, the middle one is really important. Defined and connected, right? Because we tend to swing one direction or another on this spectrum. Right? Some of us are, are prone to being defined. We're gonna tell you exactly what we think, exactly how I feel. This is exactly the way that I see it. I'm gonna maintain a sense of definition, thank you very much, and I don't care exactly how that might make you feel, right? Or <laughs> we find ourselves, on the other hand, prone to honor that sense of connection in ways that actually cost us self-definition, that we won't say what we really think or how we really feel. That those who are prone towards defined tend to get big, right? When anxiety enters into the relationship, I get big. Or those who are prone towards connection, when anxiety enters the relationship, I get small. That if we are those who are prone to definition at the expense of connection, we can wind up in detachment. When we're prone to connection at the expense of definition, we wind up in enmeshment. But what we're after is defined and connected. Now, some of you are skeptical at this point, right? Some of you are thinking, Barry, this sounds like a lot of psychobabble to me, right? Like, Barry, you're a preacher, not a therapist. What are we doing here, right? What's, where is this in the Bible? Well, I can't take you to a specific passage and show you the word differentiation and tell you the Greek word behind it, right? Can't do it. But when you ask me, where do you see it in the Bible? I would tell you, I think I see it on every page of the Gospels, that in Jesus' life and ministry, he is the consummate 
expression of differentiation. He is the consummate expression of being both defined and connected. You see it in Jesus with, with his family, defined and connected. You see it with Jesus and his friends, his disciples, defined and connected. Jesus with his enemies, with the, with the Pharisees. He maintains that sense of definition while also maintaining a sense of connection. Over and over and over, in story after story, in the life of Jesus, we see Jesus, the differentiated self, defined and connected. Now, I think you see it on every page in the Gospels, but I wanna take you to one page in particular to kind of illustrate this idea of differentiation that we see on display in the life of Jesus. If, in fact, God's agenda for you and for me is to make us more and more like Jesus, we look at his example and seek to follow it. So look with me in Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four, this whole chapter, we could unpack and look at the way in which Jesus is a differentiated self in each of these little scenes, but, but I wanna look especially with you, beginning in verse 16. Now the context here is Jesus has just had his encounter with the enemy in the wilderness, his 40 days, and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And, and you see there Jesus being differentiated. Then he begins his ministry in the Galilee. He goes preaching and, and, and healing, and word about him begins to spread, and then he goes home to his hometown, verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now Luke begins by giving us something of the importance of the setting for this little scene. It takes place in the synagogue in Nazareth. Nazareth is Jesus' hometown. This is the place that he grew up in. And Nazareth isn't this sort of massive metropolis. It's a, a relatively small town in this kind of uh, rural region called the Galilee. Jesus grew up in this small town and everybody knows him. Right? Any of you have experience in a small town where everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everybody else's business? Um, that's the kind of town that Jesus grew up in. And he goes to preach his first sermon in what could be considered his home church, right? the synagogue that he grew up in. He shows up there to preach his first sermon. He's handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he preaches. Now, when we're talking about this idea of differentiation, being both defined and connected, one of the hardest places often to do that is in our most intimate relationships. That, that for many of us, working out that swing that we often experience between being defined or being connected, we develop patterns in our family of origin. We develop patterns as kids where we grew up. And, and Jesus comes back to his hometown and we're gonna see the way in which he shows up as his full self, maintaining a sense of both defined and connected. Jesus begins to read this scripture. This scripture that speaks of 
Good news, gospel, the gospel for the poor, freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, freedom for oppression. Jesus proclaims the good news of the healing, liberating, transforming grace of God. And then after he finishes reading this passage, he says, it's here. It's now. That for which we've been waiting, that for which we've been longing, our our great hope for the coming day when God's healing and, and liberating and transforming grace would show up is now. It's happening, and it's happening through me. It's happening in your hearing. And watch the way they respond to this, verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus finishes his sermon and they are just all um, in awe, right? They're amazed at this message of grace and they are um, amazed at Jesus in his preaching. They're, They're taken with him. They remember him growing up and they go, this is Joe's kid. Look at, how, look at what a great preacher Joe's kid turned out to be. And they're all just, right? It's this beautiful, lovely moment. Jesus preaching his first sermon in his home church and they're just all enamored with him. And then it takes a turn, right? Because here's the thing. Jesus at this point could just sort of soak in all of their affirmation and affection and leave it at that. Right, he, he, could, he could be done here and everybody'd be happy and everybody'd be happy with him. And he could feel really good about himself with all their pats on the back. Joe's kid turned out to be a good preacher, who knew? But Jesus knows that there's more they need to hear. There's more to who he came to be and what he came to do. And the more that he's going to share with them is not necessarily what they want to hear. That there's, for him to be defined, there's difficult truth that he needs to speak. He doesn't end with their affirmation and affection. He doesn't withdraw and walk away. He leans in and says, we got to talk about some difficult things. Verse 23. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Jesus leans in to say, there's more to this story that you need to hear. He anticipates the way that they're going to respond to him. Physician, heal yourself. Do some miracles here like you did in Capernaum. Jesus, right, impress us. We've heard all about your little wonder-working power. Show us. Right, heal heal here, do here what you did there. Impress us, do your little song and dance, Jesus. We wanna see. And she says, no, we, we gotta go a little deeper into this. And he takes them back to the time of Elijah and Elisha. 
which was one of the darkest periods in Israel's history. And he takes them to two particular miracles that God did that communicates something powerful but powerfully disruptive for his hearers. That if you really want to get at the heart of what's going on in this little scene, you need to circle the word Sidon in verse 26 and Syrian in verse 27. You see, what Jesus does here is he takes them back to this dark period in Israel's history and talks to them about a time that God showed up and did miracles, but he didn't do miracles for the people of Israel. He did miracles for Gentiles, for the ethnically other, for the bad guys, right? The the Sidonians throughout the Old Testament, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, are the evil neighbors next door. The Syrians, same thing. These are the bad guys. And so in Jesus' day, the, 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 the people of Israel, they wanted God's healing, liberating, transforming grace, but they wanted it for themselves. They wanted God to show up and restore the greatness of Israel, but all they wanted for the Gentiles was judgment and annihilation. And Jesus has been taking them to these stories in this moment. Jesus is telling them, I came to bring God's healing, liberating, transforming grace for everybody. He's saying, It's been God's intention from the very beginning to have one big, beautiful, multi-ethnic family. The good news that I came to bring, he says, is good news for everybody. And they didn't really want to hear that. Look at their response, verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of town and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Isn't this remarkable? They've just been singing his praise. What a nice sermon. Joe's boy turned out to be a pretty good preacher. They love him. They're singing his praise and now they wanna kill him. I've been to this town and seen this cliff. They wanted to throw him a long way down. They wanna take him out. And here's the thing, Jesus, the differentiated self, he is not seduced by their praise nor overcome by their scorn. He doesn't need their approval nor is their opposition overwhelming for him. He remains both defined and connected. You'll have to forgive the analogy, but uh, this reminds me of a couple of really great scenes from the show Ted Lasso, okay? Now, um, I just need to make a disclaimer. If you haven't seen Ted Lasso, the language in it is pretty obscene. I, they just, it, it's, it's unnecessary. But the show is beautiful, it's amazing, it's powerful, and I have for the last couple of years been studying at the Ted Lasso School of Leadership. Because if you watch this show, you watch this, this man as a leader, and it's fascinating to see the leadership lessons embedded in this show. Now, many of you perhaps have seen it, others of you may not know what I'm talking about. The show is based around the idea that this collegiate football coach from middle America, who's a little bit of a buffoon, it seems, at least at the beginning, gets hired to coach a football team in England, except their football is very different than our football. So he goes to coach this Premier League team, knowing practically nothing about soccer. 
and the fans are just enraged that the owner has hired this guy to coach our beloved team. And very early on, they give him a nickname. Some of you may recall what the nickname is. It's a, it's a foul nickname, right? Um, but there's this scene where he's standing in the middle of the pitch. They've just lost the match and the whole stadium is shouting this foul nickname at him. And he's sort of unfazed by it, right? Differentiated self. Fast forward a couple of episodes, they win their first game and the whole stadium, he's standing in the middle of the pitch and the whole stadium is ch- chanting the same foul nickname except now it's in victory. It's, they're grateful for this guy. And once again, he's unfazed. He turns to the coach next to him and says, same word, coach, right? Not seduced by their praise nor overcome by their scorn. A solid sense of self, differentiated. And I think when we look at the life of Jesus, this is what we see over and over and over again. Now, I wanna give you just a few clues as to how to develop this capacity in your life. These are the things that have helped me. There's a whole lot more to the story, but I think this gets to the heart of it. That if we wanna cultivate this sense of differentiation to remain both defined and connected, there's at least three things that we need. First, I call hyper-awareness. Hyper-awareness. That is a hyper-awareness to what's happening in me in this moment. That hyper-awareness is, what hap- is what's, uh, as to what's happening below the surface of your life, in your mind and your body. It's that capacity in the moment to say, okay, what's going on here? Right? What's really going on here? Why do I feel churned up in this moment? Why is this disrupting me in this kind of way? A great diagnostic question, what do I think I need that I don't really need. That's often where our anxiety gets stirred. What do I think that I need that I don't really need? And the usual suspects with respect to the answer to that question are competence, control, acceptance, or survival. Am I competent? Am I in control? Am I accepted or acceptable? And will I survive? Will we survive? a few years back, there was one of these moments that Kim and I had. And uh, it was quite a moment, let me tell you very much. Um, and it, it's so crazy, it happened in a parking lot. It happened in a parking lot with me behind the wheel of a car. A lot of our moments seem to happen when I'm behind the wheel of a car. Is this true of anybody else in the room, any couples in the room? Yeah, I heard some amens in the earlier service. Um, we're pulling into the parking lot at our kids' school. And I see a perfectly good parking spot right there in front of me. And so I aim the car right at it and ready to pull into the parking spot. And she says, no, don't park there. Go park over here. And so I said, I think I know how to park a car. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you see where this is going. Um, Like I didn't respond particularly well in that moment. And she didn't respond particularly well in response to me. And suddenly, we're just off to the races. Over a parking spot. I mean, our kids are in the car, and it just, I mean, it just sort of degenerated really quickly over a parking spot, for crying out loud. What is happening? 
Well, it's taken me some time and doing some work to be able to understand, have a hyper-awareness of what's happening. And the, the fact is, I could take you back to my life story and explain it to you, but I have a wound around the issue of adequacy. And in that moment, my wound got poked at. And my response poked at a wound that she has. And uh, where it really oftentimes combusts is when my woundedness and her woundedness intersect. And suddenly we're off to the races. So what I have to be able to do, and I'm not saying I have mastered this, I assure you, but I've learned over time to be hyper-aware. This is what's happening right now. And when I can, when I can notice it, I can catch it. Right? We need to develop a sense of hyper-awareness of what's happening inside of me right now. What do I think I need that I don't really need? What's really going on here? Hyper-awareness. Second, what I call grounded identity. A sense of grounded identity. And this is where the gospel comes in. Oftentimes that we look to other people to supply for us what ultimately only God himself can supply we look for the ground of our identity in, res- in the response of other people to us. I'm okay if you're okay with me. Grounded identity means I know who I am in Christ. And he is the one who supplies what I ultimately need to be okay. My confidence isn't in my competence, but in his provision. My need for control can be released into his loving care. My sense of acceptance is found in him, and that's enough. My survival is ultimately in his hands. When I can remember who I am in him, I don't have to get big, and I don't have to get small. I can stay fully human size, defined, connected, Hyperawareness, second, grounded identity, preaching the gospel to ourselves, reminding ourselves who we are in Christ. And then third, deliberate response. Hyperawareness, grounded identity, deliberate response. For years, I heard about this distinction between reacting and responding. And I remember for years hearing that and just going, come on, really? Like those are just two words that really mean the same thing. What are we doing here? And yet, I've come to understand the difference because I've seen it in myself. Reacting is a non-deliberate response. It's me responding out of my anxiety, either getting big or getting small, fight or flight. And reactivity is the sign of anxiety in me. Responding is deliberate. Responding is when I've considered what's going on here. When I've considered what do I think I need that I don't really need, when I'm hyper aware and have a sense of my grounded identity, then I can respond from that place. That's differentiation, defined and connected. Now, Murray Bowen, who is the psychologist who kind of developed this concept, tells us that most of us operate at about a 30% capacity for differentiation. And if we really work hard, we might get up to like a 50%, right? We're getting this right maybe half the time. So this is an ongoing journey for all of us, but this is what 
emotionally mature spirituality looks like in relationships. And I need to tell you, I discovered a long time ago, preaching very early on as a, as a college kid, that sometimes the hardest things for me to really convey to people were the things that were the deepest work that God was doing in me. And I have wrestled with that to try to bring this to you because this is the deep work that God's been doing in me over the course of the last couple of years. Deep work that I didn't know I needed. I've got a group of men in my life. We meet for breakfast every other Tuesday morning and we're walking together through life, through marriage. And, and we talk a lot about defined and connected because this is the deep work God is doing in me that I didn't know I needed. But as we said last week, if it's true that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, that we don't really come to know God's strength until we find ourselves in circumstances that really reveal our weakness. And for me, 2020 was a set of circumstances that really revealed my weakness. Anybody remember 2020? <laughs> trying to forget. Yeah, it was, a, it was a hard year. And if you'd asked me 10 years ago, Barry, how would you complete this sentence? I would do anything to avoid blank. What I would have put in the blank is disappointing people. I would do anything to avoid disappointing people. And uh, 2020, I felt like I was disappointing a lot of people from a lot of different directions a lot of the time. And uh, in fact, one of my favorite definitions of leadership comes from a Harvard professor who said, leadership is disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb. So it's like disappointing people now is part of my job description. And in a lot of ways, I wasn't okay. And then I began to learn about this concept of differentiation. I began to learn about this idea of being both defined and connected. Began to learn what it means to be okay even if other people aren't okay with me. That I am I, not seduced by praise or overcome by criticism. Because I looked to the life of Jesus and began to see this idea playing out in page after page and story after story of what it looks like in his life to be both defined and connected. And through the help of the Holy Spirit, this is the work that God has been doing in my life these last two years. Three little words that I think that if you understand them, if you internalize them, and if you adopt them as a fundamental life stance, a posture of relating, they will profoundly alter the way in which you show up in relationships so that you show up more healthy, whole, and holy. Defined and connected. And isn't it beautiful that defined and connected is the pattern of the gospel? That God has not left us in our sin and shame. That God has not abandoned us in our chaos, but that he has moved toward us in Jesus to rescue us. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for what we see in the life of Jesus and we know that your desire for us is for our inner lives to look more and more like the inner life of Jesus so that our relationships become more and more characterized the way in which Jesus related to other people. We acknowledge that we can't accomplish this on our own but that we need the work of the Holy Spirit, spiritual formation, the formation into Christ's likeness by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So Lord, we pray that you would work in us so that we might live more and more defined and connected. We thank you that this is the pattern of the gospel, that Lord, you did not leave us in our sin and our shame. You did not abandon us in our chaos. That you moved toward us through Jesus, who brought the healing, liberating, transforming grace of God. And so we pause now before we come to communion just to examine our hearts before you. God, we thank you for the way in which that healing, liberating, transforming grace touches our lives. We pray with hearts of gratitude in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.